Hey folks, welcome to Seed Talk. I am your host, Lisa Mason Ziegler, and we're going to be joined also with the Gardener's Workshop Seed Manager, Lane Angelo. And in this show, we talk about all things seeds. And I hope you enjoy this brand new podcast brought to you by thegardenersworkshop.com. Hey friends, welcome back. It is your friend, Lisa Mason Ziegler, along with Lane Angelo. Hi, and hi, Lane. Hi. Hello, everybody. So we have another seed talk for you today. Today is Cool Flowers Direct Seeding Frequently Asked Questions Part 2. Welcome aboard. We're so glad you're here with us. Um, we love it when you share our podcast with your friends and tell them to come on over and, and have a listen. And um, you can learn more about the Gardener's Workshop, who sponsors this podcast. Um, I've learned more about the work that we're doing over at thegardenersworkshop.com. And over there, we have so much stuff, y'all. Oh, my goodness. We have tons of resources. We have our online garden shop. There's blogs. There's the field, um, the field and Garden podcast home base. We have lots of video guides. Um, along with our online course library that is packed with opportunities for you to learn more about growing flowers. And so the seed talk is a the brainchild of Lane. Lane is our seed manager at the Gardener's Workshop, and she's the one that gets all the questions that our customers send in. So she is pulling from those questions. Um, and here we are. And I think it's just such a great idea. And we're hearing a lot of excellent feedback. People are loving this talk and Lane is really responding and um, loving the interaction. So yes. take it away, yes. Lane. This is just a great one. All right. So today, like Lisa mentioned, it is going to be Cool Flowers Direct Seeding Frequently Asked Questions Part 2. And don't forget, if you are listening on a podcast app, that you can also join us over on YouTube if you'd like to see Lisa and I having the conversation. And we also alternate by putting the slideshow up that we have. So let's go ahead and move on to our first question. So last time in the direct seeding Part 1, we kind of talked about why we direct seed. We discussed some of the challenges, how to plant in fall versus very early spring. We talked about blue plurum. And then today we're going to move into a lot of practical tips and tricks to get you guys direct seeding with success. So our very first question today is, what tools, equipment, and supplies do farmers and home gardeners need for successful outdoor sowing? And Lisa, we can just touch on each of these things because we will discuss them in more detail throughout the course of this episode. But what are some of the things that come to mind? Sure. So the first thing I think of is have enough seeds on hand. Sometimes we underestimate how many seeds, especially when you're direct seeding. So have enough seeds. Um, you know, I am a strong user and believer in the garden hoe. That is what keeps my direct seeded beds weed free. Um, and we use a lot of silage tarps um, to extinguish the weed seeds that are on the surface before we actually plant the beds. So a silage tarp. Um, and we do a lot of hand watering with direct seeded stuff. Um, so we have a hose that'll reach your garden spot. And we love having a wand that you screw onto that hose that has a really soft, gentle um, 
spray, which means it has a whole bunch of little tiny ho holes, um, which allows that to happen. And then if you want to have irrigation, you know, once your plants are mature, um, you ought to have that, give that some thought. And then if you're going to mulch ultimately after your plants are up, then you need to have that on hand also. Yep. And one thing I would add is it's always a good idea to label what you have sown because oh, like we yeah. always say, <laughs> you think you're going to remember and you will not remember. So it <laughs> make is, sure you I have mean, some sort of marker. Yeah. Is that not like, is there could be a whole show about the funny <laughs> things that, you know, and you know, the problem, the challenge. So we use wooden stakes, you know, we have garden markers, all sizes. Um, and so now we use, I think we have the 18 inch ones that we, we sell them at the gardener's workshop. So I thought, all right, the bigger ones will be easier to see until our <laughs> gold retriever started taking them because they're bigger. He sees them. So anyway, never a dull moment. And what do you use to write on your wooden? Yeah, isn't she, y'all, and she's so good about tipping me about <laughs> things I forget to mention. My most favorite tool ever is the garden marker. And it's a marker um, that is made to be outdoors and withstands UV rays and moisture. Um, you may think that that Sharpie or that permanent marker that you bought in the um, office supply store is going to last but one day you'll come out and poof, all your words are gone. Yeah. Um, but the garden marker, we love it. It's got a fine tip. You can write on it and read it and it lasts forever outside. Yep. All right. Moving along. How and when do you prepare beds for direct seeding? And I think maybe we should start with when, because there are some weed issues that could arise if you prepare your beds too early without preparing for that. So right. go ahead. So it um, really just depends on, I mean, that really is a loaded question, but in right. general, if you are going to direct seed a garden bed, we direct seed into open soil, meaning there's no mulch on the bed um, and there's no film on the bed, like the bio 360 biodegradable film that we use for transplants, right? So that means you're gonna prepare your bed and then it's just open soil. Well, if you just prepare your bed this week, but don't plant your seeds for a week or two or three weeks out, um, there's going to be a problem because all of the weed seeds that are in your soil, they're in everybody's soil. There's thousands of them constantly. Um, the minute you stir your soil up, those weed seeds start developing, even though we don't see them for a little while. And if you let that open soil sit, those weed seeds are gaining time on your seeds when you ultimately plant them in a week or two or three. So we recommend preparing um, and then taking steps to prevent the weeds from actually gaining access to what they need. Primarily that's light and water. So we lay silage tarps. Silage tarps are just super heavy duty plastic. And what they block is water and light. The two things that weed seeds need. And if it's, you know, if you're still having heat in your summers, not only does it block those two steps, the water and the light, the heat can actually extinguish those seeds that are on the surface. Um, so you have to take steps to prevent those seed, weed seeds from germinating. Right. Yeah. There's 
something called a seed bank that's in your soil that is a collection of all the seeds that weeds have dropped, things you've planted have dropped, birds have carried in, it's coming on animals fur, and these are all lying in wait in the soil. They're dormant, but as soon as you make that surface prepared, you bring them up to the light, they're going to be ready to sprout and get the jump on your seeds. And then let's move to the next part of the question, which is how do you prepare beds for direct seeding? Sure. So it really depends on your style. We follow two different styles here on the farm, no-till and conventional. No-till is exactly what it says. We we don't do deep tilling. Um, And so we might till the surface, which means just the top couple of inches. Conventional means that you use a garden tiller, whether it's on a tractor or a walk behind, that goes deep in the soil and mixes everything up. Um, And that also brings weed seeds to the surface, right? So, and I'm sorry, it's how to prepare. Is that what the question was? How to prepare. Yep. Yeah. Um, So in our no-till beds, what we really love to do is to use those silage tarps, as I mentioned previously, pull out whatever summer crops, get the bed top prepared. We'll put down a couple inches of compost. Um, and underneath that compost, we will have put down the appropriate amount of dry organic fertilizer and just kind of rake it into the soil. Then we put our silage tarp down for a couple, three weeks. That kind of lets everything mellow out. It blocks any weed seeds um, from getting what they need. Um, And then when it's time, when the temperatures are proper, we then pull back the silage tarp and plant. Um, And we do basically the same thing for our conventional, except that we till. Um, and we try to till the same, we till in the morning and we're planting seeds that afternoon. Um, so that we are, my seeds and the weed seeds have the same, um, amount, you know, they have, they get to start at the same time. Nobody gets an early start that way. Yes. And whatever you're doing, it's really important that, and I think a lot of home gardeners are guilty of this. You can't just throw seeds out onto very hard packed Uh. soil. Yes. very compacted soil. You're not going to get good germination. The seeds need to have really good contact with the soil so they can absorb that moisture. Like we've talked about before, which is critical for their germination and for them to metabolize their food source so they can actually survive. So you need to make sure that soil is loosened up, whatever that top layer is so that your seeds can actually have an easy time having their roots penetrate, having good contact with the soil and absorbing moisture. And, you know, in it, Lane, it's kind of like how we use special seed starting mix when we're starting seeds indoors. Yes. You know, we want it sifted. Um, so, yeah, I you really want a nice us putting that layer of compost on the surface really provides that cushy kind of yes. conditions. Right. For those. Um, so if you're not going to do that, you definitely need to attend to that surface soil. Um, because, and then of course, you know, does the seed get covered with soil or not? That's, you know, the right. other big question, right? Um, so yeah, that is super important. It is. All right, let's move along. What weather conditions do you look for in the forecast when you are planning to direct seed? So for cool season hardy annuals, we are, um, it's all about temperatures. Um, And so I am looking um, at the two week forecast on on my weather app. And when nighttime temperatures start diving, dipping down into the 60s, I mean, 65 is like the perfect nighttime temperature, 60 to 65. 
um, and are and it's kind of holding in that window for the next two weeks. That's what you're looking for. You know, if it's 60 today, but it's going to be 82 all next week at night, um, then you it's not, it's still too early because it's all about the nighttime temperatures. I tell people this, the days will mislead you so much. Um, don't pay attention to the daytime temperatures. It's the nighttime temperatures for direct sowing, particularly cool season hardy annuals. Um, they need those cool temperatures to germinate um, and they'll just sit out there and wait for you, but you can count on the weed seeds are not waiting. Um, and so that can really delay your um germination to actually happen is um, when your temperatures are too warm. So nighttime temperatures is what we're looking for in the mid sixties. Yep. And to talk about some other weather conditions, let's talk about rain and yeah. wind. Some rain can be great. That can be a great way to get moisture into your seed beds. But if you're going to have a torrential downpour, yes. you could risk washing your seeds away in all that excess water. And also if you're going to have extremely windy conditions, for some reason, picture these surface sown seeds that you've just pressed into the surface. They could just get blown away yeah. if there's going to be extreme winds. Yes. Those are two good tips too. And a little bit, um, sometimes for newly planted seeds, a row cover on top of the bed, you know, not hoops, just a row cover to help, especially for wind, um, can really be helpful, but yeah, avoid, yeah. it's going to be a windy torrential weekend. Wait till Monday to plant your seeds. If you have that choice. Yes. Okay. In general, how many seeds should I sow compared to the number of plants I hope to end up with? A lot more than we think. Mm -hmm. um, I will definitely confess that probably the first five to 10 years that I was direct sowing, particularly I'm thinking of larkspur and um, bupleurum, big crops for flower farmers. I never, I always had crummy stands. You know, I just, there was, the bed was very spotty always. And because I was like, plant, it said, you know, plant a plant every six inches. I was like putting one, maybe two seeds every six inches thinking in my mind, they're all going to germinate. Well, it just doesn't happen that way. <laughs> Stuff happens, right? So I am now a stellar direct sower with a great stand of plants. And I will tell you that I probably plant four to five times the seeds of the plants I need to end up with. And that's what it takes if you, especially if you're a flower farmer, um, if you definitely want a plant just about every six inches in every row, which as a commercial grower, you do as a home gardener, what's more disappointing than a big old hole in your bed, right? So to me, it is far better practice to over sow and then thin your crops, which they all have to be thin. That's just part of it, friends. That is part of the process. Um, but we plan to plant right many more seeds than we actually need plants. And another point that brings up is that you do need to be aware of how you're planning on planting your seeds if you're going to be sowing indoors or direct seeding at the time you're ordering them, because yeah. that affects the number. It's so true. I mean, it is literally a numbers game when we're ordering seeds back for the farm when we before we were selling seeds and we were just farming. I mean, I would literally sit down and say, OK, I need a thousand red zinnias. So I would always buy twice as many seeds, even for transplants. But for direct seeded, I would warp that number several times. And um, it's an insurance package is what it is. It is. 
So make sure you order four to five times the number of seeds. That's how many you're going to actually be putting down compared to the number of plants you hope to end up with. Okay. What are the steps in the direct seeding process? So I was hoping you could just walk us through as if we're out there with you in the garden going about your direct seeding. Sure. So let's just assume that I just, let's just assume it's a conventional bed um, or even the no-till. So the bed was just prepared. You know, I just either finished tilling um, or the compost has been applied to the no-till bed. Um, I use our garden hoe, um, which is a trapezoid. And I use the point of that to make little troughs. Um, and it's about an inch and a half to two inch deep trough. Um, and the other thing um, that's probably worth noting is typically in a uh, most of our beds are 30 inches wide. When we're doing transplants, almost always there's four rows in a transplanted bed. In a direct seated bed, I always do only three rows. And that is to allow for quick and efficient weeding um, when that time comes or preventing weeds with our hoe. So I make the first trough and I just turn the hoe on its point and just pull it. I just put it on the ground and walk and I cannot walk in a straight line. I still can't walk in a straight line. Um, <laughs> you're trying to, and I always do the middle trough first because it seems like it would be the easiest, right? But you still kind of wobble, make a trough for each row of seeds I'm going to put in. So I have these three little troughs that I'm going to be planting the seeds in the base of that trough. Um, and that allows for a couple of things. One, it's easier to water and it's very easy to see where you actually planted the seeds. Um, so I make those troughs um, and then I pull my my seed packet out of my boot where I keep them and pull them out and dump them in my hand. People can't even believe this. It's like, this is the way I have sown thousands and thousands of seeds and I do it quick and easy. I dump some, not all of them. And a note, if you're planting poppies, which we direct seed outside, you do not do it on a windy day. Those are like salt or pepper even. Yes. Um, I dump some in my hand um, and just literally rub my fingers together as I'm just going and I do one row at a time. I don't stand in one spot and do all three rows across the bed. I do one long row, then I come back to the head and do the next long row. Um, and then I do whatever the seed prefers. Do they um, get covered with soil or not? If they do not get covered with soil, then I take my garden hoe, the stand-up hoe, and just go down that trough and standing upright, pat, and just kind of push those seeds to make certain that they have made good contact with the soil. If they need darkness, like Bupleurum does, I walk along with the hoe and very gently just run the hoe along the edge of that trough to push a little bit of soil on top of it. Um, and then I grab my garden hoe, of course, before I did all of this, I put a garden stake with the name. Oh, of course. Of course yeah. you did. Yeah. And just hope that Tucker doesn't take it. <laughs> and um, then I go grab my garden hose with my ho um, wand with a super gentle sprayer. Not, I mean, it puts out a lot of water, but it doesn't jet your soil. And then basically I fill up those troughs. I just walk along slowly and I always, I water everything twice. I water my containers twice. I water um, our tray sometimes twice, 
but I walk down the garden pathway and water one trough at a time, go down and fill it and then come back up. And I mean, I, you don't flood it. You're just watering it as you go along. Um, and I water and it really depends on the conditions as to whether I use row cover or not. If it's super windy, it definitely is beneficial to put row cover up because that just helps to retain moisture to block the wind. Um, and, you know, Dave Dowling's saying is that he waters his direct seeded stuff every single day by hand, even though he has irrigation too. You know, I mean, we, we say that to people, irrigation doesn't cut it for a good stand of direct seeded stuff, you know, that you just can't rely on that. Um, and that's pretty much it. I think, what did I forget Lane? No, that, I think that was it. And it's interesting to hear how you use your hoe for more than just oh, eliminating yeah. weeds. It sounds like it's a pretty important part of your entire process. Well, you know, my analogy has always been fewer tools is better to find more ways to use it. And that's pretty much what started our whole business, right? It's like, you know, why have 15 tools when five to do everything will really do the job, you know? And um, yeah, so yeah. love that garden hoe. <laughs> okay. So we were just speaking about watering. How often should I water before, during, and after germination? And I want to start by saying watering can be very dependent on your exact conditions. So is it humid or dry where you are? How sunny is it? Do you live in a windy location? Are you getting a lot of rainfall? How moisture retentive is your soil? What are your temperatures? There are a lot of different factors. But in general, what do you do, Lisa? And what do you recommend people look for, for signs of when to water before, during, and after germination? I will say that I don't water enough because they do have to be, they don't have to be, because we choose to hand water. Um, you know, you were really, and this I think also, also happens so much to home gardeners um, and even to flower farmers. You know, you water them the day you plant them. And then the next day, you're kind of still excited about the thoughts of, you know, bells of Ireland or whatever it is. And you go and water them again. And then it's like all of a sudden, five days later, you're like, oh, shucks, I didn't water. So I would definitely say the benefit is you do not want to keep a soggy water bed, a seed bed by any stretch of imagination. But with normal conditions outdoor, sunny, you know, warmish, you know, 70 degree days, it's going to dry out fairly quickly. And in those conditions, I definitely say once a day running down those beds and just wetting them again, a seed shell has to be moist for that little teeny microscopic little sprout to push his head out. Think of a chicken breaking an egg, right? Well, seeds don't have beaks. You have to <laughs> soften the shell, right? Yep. And um, that's why bell, that's why we soak bells of Ireland. They germinate a hundred percent better that way, um, because they have to break through. And so water every day is the goal before germination. Definitely. Then as they sprout, it only helps them. I mean, if there's, again, as you said, it depends on your conditions. Um, but it, you want them to grow at a nice, slow pace because you don't want to get too big. Um, but let's just say, and this is, you know, I have learned to manipulate the growth rate of plants so much. If you're late planting, yes, water them every day. You want them to get bigger before winter comes. If you planted too early, eh, maybe, you know, give them just enough water. <laughs> you know what I mean? 
to keep them yeah. smaller. Yeah. And it also brings up an important point, especially for home gardeners, make sure wherever your direct seeded patches, make sure you can bring water to that area make yes. sure there's some way you can get a hose. It has happened to me so many times where I'm like, Oh, it would be great to have a patch over here. And then I realize later, how am I going to get the hose over there? I can't actually reach. So that's something really important to keep yeah. in mind. That is um, definitely, that's actually one of my steps in the cutting garden. It's like, and how are you going to get water to it? Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. important. It is important. Okay. How quickly do you reseed if you had poor germination? So let's say you seeded a bed, you've waited the number of days it says on your pack that they should germinate and you're not seeing much action or it's just not as good as you expected. How quick are you to reseed that bed? Sure. So I try to put on my, you know, inspector gadget kind of hat <laughs> and figure out and look at the instructions. It's really fascinating to me, the number of people that reach out to us with questions that their question is literally on the back is answered on the back of the seed packet that they purchased, right? You know, whatever it is. So if you have a failure, you think, the number one thing I would do is to go and get your seed packet or go to whatever resource you're using and see, did I do what it was supposed to do? The number one challenge with the Cool Season Hardy Annuals, in my experience, has been people sow them too early and it's just too hot outside. That seed is just sitting out there. But of course, all the weed seed starts germinating. This is why most people fail. They sow their seeds too early because they don't do the two-week outlook on direct seeding. They sow too early because they're over, you know, they're eager. And I totally get that. Um, and then their seeds just sit there. Then they just sit there. And then you stop watering them because you think, you know, they're not going to do anything. Um, and then lo and behold, a month later, when rains come and it's actually cooler, all of a sudden they start sprouting, but there's so many weeds in the bed, you never even see them, right? So um, read what did you or didn't do. And if you read your seed packet and you see you obviously made an error, you covered them with soil, but they needed light to germinate or something like that. Or you say, oh, you know what? It is way too warm. No wonder they didn't start. I would, that's when I would start considering replanting. If I know I screwed up, it is very unlikely that uh, unless the seeds aren't viable for seeds to not germinate um, over, you know, that I don't even know how to say it. It's like, it's yeah. usually an environmental screw up the temperature, the water, or you didn't cover them or you covered them and you weren't supposed to. So I yeah. wouldn't do it unless I ruled out that, you know, I just haven't waited long enough and next week it's going to get cold and let's give them a little more time. It's a yeah. hard call. And if you do need to reseed and it's pushed you closer to your frost state than you would have liked, remember that hooping and row covering can buy you some extra time Yes, in terms of weather. Dave says it buys you a zone. And so that means it moves you south and which would buy you probably about a month back. You know what I mean? So they really do a lot to help your conditions. Yep. Okay. How do you combat weeds in your direct seated beds? And do you mulch your direct seated beds? My most so favorite subject. So you don't combat weeds, you prevent them. 
That's the goal. That's the ultimate goal. It is so, I mean, even doctors told us it's far better to be preventative than it is to fight a disease, right? Well, weeds fall into that category. So that same um, hoe that I talked about using to make the troughs and to then cover or not cover my seeds, um, we use that hoe. Um, so if I plant my garden today, my goal doesn't always happen. My goal is in, in starting in about seven to 10 days, I want to start hoeing that seed bed about once a week. And when you use the hoe, garden hoe properly, meaning standing upright and just pulling it through the soil, you're not doing all this choppy, choppy kind of stuff. Um, I can hoe a 120 foot bed of beans with three rows in it in less than five minutes. And that prevents weeds. If you do that about once every seven to 10 days for the cool season stuff before you go into winter, once it gets cold, you can stop doing that because weed seeds also, you know, are not going to germinate. But what you soon realize when you truly follow using the type of hoe that only goes down about an inch to an inch and a half in the top of the soil surface. So while it is taking out the weeds developing on the surface of the soil, it is also not bringing up fresh weed seeds from down deep. That's the whole point of the design of our garden hoe. And um, so after you've done that, you know, two or three times, you're really bringing down the population of the viable weed seeds on the surface of the bed drastically. Plus for cool season stuff, it gets cold then. That would be the optimal time for you to then mulch between your rows of plants. Um, if you wanted to, we don't anymore. We have such good weed control. Um, or they just go into winter and they're dormant. For warm season stuff like those beans, once the beans grow up about 10 inches, then their canopy starts to shade out that space between the rows. Um, and I mean, friends, you can really live a weed-free life, but it's about prevention, not taking care of the weeds. Um, and the, the garden hoe changed my direct seeding life. I'm not kidding you. It's amazing. Yeah. And I think it's really important, like you said, make sure you're just going under the surface of the soil. You don't want to be going deep into that soil and stirring up even more weed seeds. You're just trying to clip off the seeds that have sprouted. You don't want to bring up new seeds to the surface. That's a great point. And one of the things that I think that people don't understand, it's the design of this hoe. It's the angle of the blade to the handle. It allows you to stand upright. And um, I often use the example of think of a stick of butter and you want to use a butter knife, a warm butter knife to cut it along the, on the horizon, you would not, you would keep the blade flat, right? That's exactly what you want to do to a garden hoe. Your blade should work flat on the ground, just drop down an inch or so, and it works beautifully. Yeah. And I also want to mention another challenge. A lot of times for home gardeners is that we are often not planting in rows. I know for myself, a lot of times I'm incorporating flowers as a seasonal landscape design element. I want them to look natural. I don't want them to look like they're in rows. 
So that means we're scattering or broadcasting the seed out into these flower patches. And then you've got weed seedlings coming up completely interspersed with your flower seedlings. So a skill that's very important to develop is being able to identify yes. which are your true flower seedlings and which are your weed seedlings. That's a great point, Lane. And I will say that um, in our experience in home landscapes or in my own landscape, when we wanted to direct seed, I would take large, you know, I would have a a circular area um, and we would actually use handprints to make depressions in the soil and just, you know, put them at an irregular pattern. And so you can at least know where you planted your seeds because it may seem obvious today, but as you've mentioned before, you will remember nothing, um, but those handprints or any depression that you could put to say, hey, that's where the seeds are. And it makes watering so much easier. Yeah. And it can also be difficult to reach into a bed. Make sure it's not so large that you're going to have a right. hard time reaching in without having to walk all over the bed. How do you combat pests and varmints when sowing outdoors? So these could be anything from insects to birds to rodents, what do you do to combat pest environments? Sure. So, you know, I, I sow um, just a handful of seeds out in the garden um, and we haven't had particular varmint pressure, but I would imagine for those folks that in the spring and summer that want to try to direct seed sunflowers, that would be a huge magnet for somebody to come eat them, right? Um, But what we would do if we had varmint pressure is particularly birds, um, squirrels, rabbits. I mean, them just rooting around in your stuff, looking for something is very, very destructive, right? And the whole way that row covers can be the most effective is to install them immediately after planting instead of waiting to see if a problem is going to develop. Because once they, you know, if you work up a nice area in your landscape or out in your garden, a nice area, you know, they love rooting around in that kind of stuff. But if you immediately install your hoops and row covers, if you have hard, strong pressure, um, they don't even, I mean, animals are smart, but they are not that smart. They don't understand, oh, there's something under that row cover that, you know, they're trying to keep me from. Um, So it's about timing. Um, And so we have used row covers with great. um, We even have used row covers for deer protection until we used a really strong magnet for deer, which we didn't realize it. We planted strawberries one year on this flower farm for our own personal use. It was planted in the middle of the farm. The deer, they were double covered. The deer ripped the row covers to shreds in one night and ate all the plants to the ground. I mean, that is just, we just don't have much damage here. So you have to figure out what is, um, you know, worth the trouble, but row covers typically will work to help with that some. They and will. insects like ants, ants move a lot of, can move seeds. Ants are good bugs, y'all. They are incredible soil movers and workers, um, but they can move small seeds if you have some missing. Yes. And another pest I would add to that list is actually people. So try not to, especially in a home garden situation, again, try not to locate this bed somewhere where people are going to be constantly traipsing on it. That's definitely something to consider. 
do you fertilize your fall plantings on an ongoing basis? So you've already talked about preparing your bed with compost and dry organic fertilizer. When is your next fertilizer application? So we, we, we really like to um, apply liquid fertilizer, the seaweed fish type of fertilizer, um, once growth starts in spring. So a lot of times we, because we are in a very windy spot, we oftentimes use winter row covers, not for cold protection, but protection from wind. When we take those covers down, for us, our last frost is typically mid-April. We often are putting our covers down end of February, early March, depending on the conditions. So we can start doing a little whole weeding. Once we see growth starting to happen on plants and beds, that's the time to start feeding them. All right. They appreciate it. They do appreciate it. They reward you for it. (laughs) And whatever fertilizer you're using, it's important to always follow the instructions on the bottle or bag for the application rate and frequency. So, yes. All right. Let's move on. What is the purpose of thinning and when do you thin your direct seeded beds? Great question. So first off, think back to how I told you that to ensure that we have full beds, we always over sow, we put, you know, more seeds. I mean, basically I'll put a seed, it doesn't happen every inch, but that's what I'm pretty much aiming for. So if there's plants are ultimately going to be six inches apart, um, that's what I'm kind of doing is dropping a seed or so every inch. Um, So if all of them germinate, which, you know, you sometimes you have really good years. And what that boils down to is that the temperature that you sowed in that period was like perfect for that seed. Um, One year we had the best stand of all of them, poppies, bells of Ireland. They were all just, it's like, oh my gosh, look at all these beds. They're just packed. Well, it doesn't all, that's the exception instead of the rule. So you have to, I mean, my motto is we always prepare for the worst and hope for the best, right? So when you sow, over sow, as you should for a good stand of beds, that means there's too many plants per square inch. And you're right. whole, trying to transplant them is not a very, we don't recommend it. Those plants suffer and just don't do very well. And oftentimes when people are trying to dig up seedlings to transplant them, you can damage the one you're keeping. There are exceptions to that rule, but in general, they have to be very tiny when you do that. So you have to thin to give them enough air, space, root room, all of that. They might look really good when they're six inches tall, but imagine them 36 inches tall with that packed crowd. You know, think of being in a crowded house with 50 people in your house versus five. That's what the big difference is. Um, and we thinning, typically- thinning is like seed social distancing. <laughs> it's true. Um, and, you know, it is also true that there are some seeds that I don't thin as appropriately as I should, like those come and cut those ones that are once and done, like Buplurum. Um, you know, I don't thin those to six inches. I leave them a little bit tighter, but you can kind of learn through experience with your conditions what you can actually do. And we thin in very early spring. We let all the seedlings go through winter. You want to thin them before they start to grow in spring. One last year, the year before we waited too late 
um, before we got to our Bells of Ireland. And they looked beautiful at a distance. But when you got up close to them, they're about 10 or 12 inches tall and they hadn't been thinned. And when you started thinning, you just saw how weak the stems were going to be and not a good thing. So thin before they start growing in very early spring. Um, but we do it in very early spring after they've gone through winter. Yeah. And it is a good idea to wait until very early spring because sometimes the best looking seedlings in the fall end up for whatever reason, not to make it in very early spring. Next question. What are your tips for starting poppies and direct sowing very small seeds in general? So for anyone that doesn't know what a poppy seed looks like, just think of what's on the top of your bagel. They're extremely small. So what are some of your best tips for starting poppies and just very small seeds in general? Sure. So again, you know, don't do it on a windy day. Have a very, if you, you know, I have spoken to people that don't have great garden soil yet. You know, they're just started getting started out and their soil is pretty heavy with clay or there's just lots of chunks and they're really wanting to have excellent like poppies. And you know what my recommendation is to folks like that, that just haven't, I mean, year, it takes years to build your soil up. So, you know what I say? Go buy a couple of bags of potting soil and put a one to two inch on top of your, you know, get your bed worked up as best you can. Try to get rid of the chunks, do all the normal steps that you do to prepare, but then put an inch or two of potting soil um, that is in kind of heavy potting soil. You know, I'm thinking you don't want the real light, fluffy stuff. Um, and we use um, our blocking mix, which doesn't have a lot of perlite, perlite and stuff and vermiculite in it um, and put an inch or two down and just do that in these places where you're sowing these super tiny seeds like poppies, because poppies are surface sown. Um, again, we make those troughs um, in that and then just be sure they make good contact and they really need. I have learned that poppies are one of the ones that really need those cool nights. Remember the name Iceland poppies for the one that we grow the most often. Um, and they really need cold conditions. So a really fine seed bed, be sure you're surface sowing them and then pay close, close attention to watering them as you know appropriately. Yep. And always with these surface sown seeds, be very mindful of wind, a ton of rain, or if you're watering yeah. a little too vigorously, that can wash these small seeds away. And also be mindful not to walk all over the beds where you have sown these small seeds. Exactly. Because it does not take much, you know, I mean, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And you could end up pushing them down into the soil and then suddenly right. they're not surface sown anymore. And that's why they won't sprout. Right. Okay. Let's go to the next. And this is the last question. And it's about a favorite flower of so many people. What are your tips for starting Bells of Ireland? So a lot of people struggle with Bells of Ireland. So let's get your best tips. Sure. For starting this. So I struggled too. Um, Bells of Ireland, when you look at the seed, it is like this little hard rock. I mean, it's got little pointed edges. I mean, it's like, I don't know what you would call the shape of yeah. it, but it is hard as a rock. And um, because so many of us, and I am at the head of this line, are really bad about watering and keeping a moist water um, seed bed. 
Um, that's why bells typically don't ever germinate. They just don't get enough moisture. Um, so before you even do what I'm just getting ready to say is we keep, we store um, all of our cool season hardy annuals appropriately, as we've talked about in other um, podcasts, in the freezer. Um, and that just keeps them the freshest for the longest when they're in there dry. Um, and then when you take them out, you know, you're kind of saying to your seeds, hey, y'all, you know, winter's over, it's time to sprout. So we and let see- me just say, we did talk a lot about that for anyone that's interested. It was our seed talk, cool flowers, indoor seed starting part one. If you want to hear our discussion about how to store seeds in the freezer. Okay. So we store all of them in the freezer. So that's just, we always, they're always having that benefit, right? So we take them out of the freezer, following the steps that we recommend. And then we just drop all of our Bells of Ireland seeds into a cup of water. And um, I have been known to soak them for several days. It all depends on when we can get out there and sow them. But I would recommend sowing them for at least a few hours. That husk really needs to get hydrated to really, um, to really break, have the sprouts break through. And when you put in addition to that cooler temperatures, you know, the 65 degree nights and warmer days, they just, they just germinate beautifully, you know? Um, so that's my secret. So, I mean, keep a storm in the freezer, take them out, soak them. And then I can't even remember Lane, do they, they don't get covered with soil. I don't think, I think they need light to germinate. So they're surface sown. Literally, I take the cool flower book out to the garden every year. And I wrote the book and I still take it with me because you can't always remember them all. Um, And we have great stands of Bells of Ireland. So you direct sow in the fall and then do you plant successions in very early spring. Are we talking about bells or? Yes. Yeah, no. And so what you have to really decide um, is it depends again on where you live. If you're in a very Northern climate where or Northern region where you don't have hot and humid summers, that may work for you to do that. But for those of us in the, where we have long, warm, hot and humid um, summers, you, we can pr- perhaps push the envelope and um, succession plant and they'll grow, but they're not quality enough. They don't get tall enough because of the heat or they fall victim to pests and diseases. Um, so you really have to pursue that and experiment yourself. Um, I mean, that's just something we talk about a lot. Yes, I can push snapdragons to be blooming until midsummer here. But guess what? They get diseases that snaps get, which we have never experienced with our fall planted and very early spring snaps. Plant them later. So it's a matter of, is it worth it to do that? You know? Yeah. So you direct sow Bells of Ireland in the fall and that's what you rely on. That's basically it for you. Yes. Yes. Okay, great. All right. Well, that was our last question for this time. We will not be having a seed talk episode next week, but the week after that, we will have a special edition where I will be interviewing Lisa. Oh my what, God. Yes. What will I ask her? You'll have to join <laughs> us to find out. And remember, um, if you're watching us on YouTube to please like and leave a comment, which we love reading, or if you're listening in a podcast app, leave a review. We really appreciate it. Yes. And um, you can learn more about 
um, the Gardeners Workshop and the work that we're doing over at thegardenersworkshop.com. And we also really recommend that you sign up for our weekly farm news, which is really like a front page of the newspaper. You know, it's just, it has a lot of different areas that you can click and go look. So friends, we thank you so much. Thank you, Lane, for heading this up and um, putting this all together. And I know that people are really enjoying it. And um, friends, until we meet again, ciao. Bye, Lane. Bye. Bye. This episode was originally produced as a part of the Field and Garden podcast before Seed Talk was spun off to become its own podcast series. 